Hey, welcome to another episode of Digital Noir Presents. I'm your host, Sam Davies. And today on the podcast, we have Craig Brown. Craig is the co-founder of The Last Conference. Last stands for Lean, Agile and Systems Thinking Practitioners. And it is a conference that's run across Australia. Um, so there's one in Melbourne, Sydney, Canberra, Brisbane. And there was also Adelaide um, around about a month ago. I attended and had a great time. So we run Agile here at Digital Noir. And I'm really interested in its application for solving complex problems. Um, and also how other businesses are adopting it from a whole different uh, series of walks of life. So I sat down with Craig ahead of the conference in Melbourne that's coming up to have a chat about where it started and Agile in general. So without further ado, let's jump in with Craig. The last conference started in 2012, I think. Um, and I, I shared with you a story and you wrote it up the other day that uh, at the time I was working at Swinburne University's IT department and we were looking to uh, do some professional development and uh, the Melbourne meetup scene was pretty good, pretty thriving. I had a lot of you know, talented contributors to the community that were happy to share things. And then my staff at the university needed some sort of professional development experience. And so we threw the event. I mean, part of the catalyst for it as well was Ed Wong uh, had just gone up to Agile Tour in Sydney, which is run by Jeremy up in Sydney. And uh, and he come back from Sydney just going, oh, man, Agile Tour is amazing. It's such a good two days, which, you know, there's another thing. If people are looking to spend two days of their life yeah, diving nice. into the Agile stuff, Agile Tour is a great event. Uh, yeah, and then uh, we ran it for a couple of years just in Melbourne. And then eventually, I can't remember where it was first. I think it was Brisbane first. One of the guys in Melbourne moved to Brisbane with Elaborate. And uh, then he got in touch and said, you know, Brisbane could really do with something like last conference. And we went, well let's do it and so we took this partnership model around doing the events where there's local people in the city and we provide some sort of governing frameworks and some supporting sort of tools and uh but the local people you know grab the local community and organize it into an event and uh yeah it's fun right and so now these days um i try to go i can't necessarily go to them all but i try to go to them all and uh hang out and you meet the people and you talk to the speakers and what's different for me about Melbourne, last conference, and Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, Canberra is at Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, Canberra. Other people have done all the work to put it together, and yeah, I just get to go along and participate enjoy. as an audience member. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Melbourne's a bit more frantic, but it's it's good. It's a fun event. So those meetups that you were sort of attending in 2012, was that, was that sort of primarily within the sort of software development engineering industry, or was it still fairly broad then? Uh, it was mostly... It was, it was there's a mix of UX product management, software development. There's a tester meetup, um, and then there was the agile meetups. And the agile meetups were kind of uh, an agglomeration of people, right? Um, these days, I think the agile meetups are loaded up with product and business analysts, um, and the software developers are somewhere else <laughs> for the most part. Some accidentally drift in from time to time, which is good because you need voices from all contributors to the process. Um, but there is that thing going on in the world about like, yeah, you know, is Agile still for software developers or has it been co-opted into a different thing? And yeah, that's you know, a long conversation that plenty of other people have had. Sure. But uh, 
but in those days, it was just people coming together and figuring stuff out. And I was talking to a guy who went to a uh, he's he's been off doing a startup for the last five years, and he's just you know that's coming to an end, and he's just looking for his next next career stage. And uh, so he's come back into the city, and he's decided to go into some of the agile meetups, see what they're doing. He was telling me this last week, and he's like, oh, you know, back in the old days, we're we're thinking, what's the role of a business analyst? How do you get the UX designers and the software developers to work together? You know, and we're having all these conversations in the agile meetups, and he's like, they're still the same conversations. It's amazing. So, <laughs> so it's kind of like a, it's a, it's it's not a. I don't think the the meetups are necessarily connected to the zitgeist of a thing. They're more like sure. a staging platform for people to move through as they develop in their knowledge and careers and stuff like that. Um, that that's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things I wanted to touch on was, you know, I suppose in the last seven or so years that you've been running it, what ha, has the content changed? Are the conversations changing? I suppose as the, especially as agile gets more sort of uh, co-opted and adopted into other industries. Right. Yeah. Well, um, last two years I've kind of backed off a little bit and I just kind of turn up and hang out with my mates and have a beer rather than like worry about the content too much. <laughs> other people are like, particularly Ed, but other people are. Uh, running the program sure. these days and a lot of it's driven by the community so you ask people what they want to talk about and then they'll set that up and then we'll schedule it and find people and, and, and so on but um but during that during that first five years i think i was quite conscious about trying to because i was also pursuing my own interests pushing it along um and then at the end of that you know i'd seen kind of three cohorts maybe come through so a whole set of people come in and, and leave again there's a few stalwarts that stick around for a long time but mm. But a lot of people kind of come in, learn what they need to learn, and then move on and go to something else. So that's cool. Um, and then seeing that, you go, okay, actually, you do, it does make sense to cycle through some of the basics over and over again. Um, yeah, okay. And so at a certain point, so if anyone out there is organizing Agile meetups, I would say devote maybe a third of your meetup capacity to covering the basics at a real 101 level. And that's an introduction for newcomers, and it keeps people cycling through. And then a third of them are kind of... Um, you know, just more mature versions of, you know, whatever's going on in the Agile world. So whether it's design thinking or, you know, um, kind of deep, deep dive into metrics or whatever the fuck it is. Sorry, am I allowed to swear? Yep, on no, no, no problem. <laughs> and, then, and then I personally would hang on to that other third and just try to find some sort of outside-the-box type stuff that, uh, that just gets people to think a bit more laterally and a bit more broad. Talk about the power dynamics or, you know, there's mindfulness comes up coaching comes up there's a bunch of that stuff but you can go um into strategy you can go into futurism you can go into you know um, emerging technologies you know, there's a whole bunch of different things you know the lean startup you can go all over the place so I, you know like again that notion of what's agile right yeah you talk to you talk to some people it's it's processes and frameworks and play people and all that sort of stuff you talk to other people it's a value set and it's whatever um or you can just not worry about it too much and you can just go, it's a flag, right? We wave it in the air and a certain type of person turns up and then we get together and we do a thing, right? Which is my version of it. That's probably a, a, a nice way to come for it because it's a flag that, you know, if, if people see it waving, they've obviously had some interaction with Agile or, you know, whether or not yeah. their, their, their business is using it as a framework or they have some interest in it. I suppose it's that sort yeah. of central tenant, right, for them to come yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah, and, and um, you know, not to disparage frameworks and tools and processes and whatever, like all those things are useful in the right place in the right time. But what's more interesting to me is uh, thinking about things holistically and then building your toolkit so that you can attack more and more tough, difficult, onerous challenges, right? 
So um, yeah, Scrum's great. Uh, it's a great introduction tool. It's good and it's simple and it helps you kind of put some stability into a process. Um, Kanban's great because it helps you understand kind of root causes of why your bottlenecks are in place and it helps you build a culture of learning and collaboration. Uh, you know, Safe might be good for people that are trying to do enterprise IT stuff. Um, and then Lean Startup's good for startups, I guess. It puts discipline into that stuff. So, so you know, there's a bit of, um, you know, it, they're just tools, right? And actually, it's the craftsmen, which is the people on the team that need to draw on the tools that they need for the problem that they're facing. That's, anyway, there you go. But, and and that's why last conference is a sprawling mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I think, and, and that's something that people get caught up in, they get hung up on the framework or as opposed to the stuff that's getting built, right? The, the actual core of the, the work is like, let's, let's make stuff or let's, let's bring something to fruition. So the framework, you know, is, yeah. is really just there as kind of a, a set of tram tracks, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And grab onto it when you're feeling wobbly, but otherwise that's not really your focus. Um, <clears throat> you, you, you run an agency, right? Correct. Digital yeah. Noir, yeah. right? And so... Um, yeah, I've started an agency a few months ago as well. And so I'm wondering what your experience is talking about Agile to customers. It's really interesting. Because I actually, I don't really have that conversation much. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So I, I came across Scrum, I think, around, I don't know, five or six years ago. Um, read the yep. book and was like, I'd, I'd done a couple of pretty big mobile app projects that had gone horribly wrong and blown out and just, you know, all sorts. The kind of stuff you run into, you know, with a, with a fixed price uh fixed price quote that was probably wildly underquoted in a, in a pretty complex yeah. piece of uh, software. And I was like, yeah. wow, this, this seems to make sense. And sort of, you know, got excited about it and talked about it internally. And we sort of slowly started doing some of the things, you know, some of the stand-ups and sort of, you know, talked about it for a couple of years internally, but never really even thought about bringing it up with a, with a customer, right? It was just kind of just, okay, well, you know, dabbling really. And then over the last couple of years, I was like, well, this, this isn't, agile at all this is just us you know taking bits and pieces from a framework and then basically still working to the you know a uh, a fixed yeah. a fixed timeline um which always blows out so i started having the conversation with customers i think drawing on experience and saying you know in my experience projects like this don't tend to work that well because of xyz um and you know initially i think customers just look at the cost right okay so you're saying that there's no there's no end in sight right it's just going right. to keep costing me money yeah um and you can frame that in a number of ways but by saying no well you know we can we can cap it you know and we can work towards something we can work towards a, an mvp or an mmp something that um is a vision that we can get out there so it doesn't necessarily have to be this endless cycle but really it's about putting the trust in in us to, to achieve some goals yeah. for you and and yeah. also letting them kind of, I don't know, it's giving them the power to let go of this sort of, uh, it's got to be this, it's got to be this thing, this thing's going to make a business money. Because I mean, in my experience, especially in startups, you know, the, the thing yeah. that people start with never is where you end up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? And um, rather than, so there's the budget, constraints mm. then there's also the the scope or the feature set or whatever yeah. and you know we we start to shift the conversation around to what's the problem you're trying to solve and let's just deploy some creativity on that so that we can solve it um more efficiently or effectively and again i was having a meeting with some people earlier this morning and uh you know the tech lead on the team justin was saying what we got to do is we got to understand the problems we're trying to solve the outcomes we speak for customers 
and then we can be more efficient, right? Because it's all very well slicing up stories, but if it's the same amount of work, you just got more stories, which means you know, it's just administration for the sake of it. What yep. you really want to do is you want to be able to kind of hack through the feature request process into what's the outcome we seek to make. Yeah. And I think that's been the biggest shift and it's still happening like with, with my team. So historically, when you are running kind of a, um, and did a lot of offshoring um, historically, less now, but you know, when you're running this sort of, okay, we, we, we'll spend our time doing some discovery, which is, you know, got a little bit of kind of, okay, well, we don't, the unknowns there, but then it's right. Here's, here's the documentation. Here's, here's our software requirements. Kick it off to the, the design team, wireframes, full comps, whole system, yeah. kick it off to the dev team. But you're right. The people that are developing it really have no, not no real concept of the of the business goals or what what it is they're they're building um, mm. through no fault of their own. Um, yeah. And so what you end up with is yeah, I think a system that you know with with all these preconceptions at the start that that may not actually be solving that problem. And and yeah. I think people get hung up then on just task work, right? So there's there isn't there isn't that freedom for a. I don't know, like we, we find actually often in QA it happens, QAs will come back and say, hey, this doesn't make sense to me. Um, mm. I reckon this should be done differently, um, mm. which is cool. It's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, that just doesn't make sense, for, mostly from a you know, user experience perspective. Yeah, there's a, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. And there's a, uh, when you said that, it made me think there's a local Q, QA community here in Melbourne. Um, there's a meetup group around it and some events and some people in particular that drive it. Uh, they're all about, where a QA should spend most of their time is talking to the product manager, right? Yeah. <laughs> because that's your highest leverage place. You know, if you can get their thinking into a structured way and you can challenge them on edge cases and, you know, what happens if and mind mapping all the different scenarios that could eventuate, then you get a more rigorous plan for the development team. And then the development team will have less gaps or, you know, logic contradictions or whatever. And, you know, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It, and it's tricky. I think... Yeah. We, so, I mean, our work spread across, I mean, my background's in design initially. Um, so we probably more focus on sort of, you know, the front end than, than real mm-hmm. heavy sort of back end work. So another thing that I think we find challenging is, you know, you've got a product owner, but then where does the role of sort of a creative director sit? So you've got this product owner who in our, in a, in a sort of, um, well, our stakeholder is the client. So we're still client service facing. They're sort of the account manager slash um, you know, visionary within the team, but then you've got a creative team as well. Um, yep. So it's, it's interesting trying to balance out, you know, the the roles within a, an agile yeah. or a scrum team and, and how how that all sort of flows. Mm. That's um that's part of why the agile things moved out of technology, isn't it? Because yeah, the um, the impetus is to clear the bottlenecks, right? And so at a certain point, the bottlenecks the QA process. At another certain point, the bottlenecks is the staying development pace or the architecture or whatever. There's all these, but, you know, it, it quickly clears out of the technology team into the kind of the, the actual, it's not the design team, but it's the design process, yeah. right? And getting everyone on the same page about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And, uh, yeah, and I guess that then explains why Agile has moved out of being a bunch of technical practices into being a sort of sociological, you know, team interchange, sort of whatever it is today. Um, yeah, because that's where the high leverage is. Yeah, and I suppose if you look at like um, yeah, design thinking or that, these kind of concepts, which has sort of you know, been around for forever, really yeah. in the design community, it's obviously very in vogue at the moment. 
as kind of yeah, a term, yeah. but um, you know, just just I suppose just like it's the creative process, really, isn't it? That sort of yeah. inspect and adapt. You know, we're we're, we're sketching, we're coloring in. Okay, this doesn't work. We're you know asking questions. That you yeah. know that at design school that was that was the process. It wasn't called design thinking. It was just. I don't know. It was just called design. Um. <laughs> That's right. Um, and and yeah, and that that yeah, coming back to it, that's that whole like the agile thing these days is about the kind of cross-functionalness of it. And um, yeah, I just I find that really interesting myself. You know, I um, over the years we've run meetups and you know conversations and whatever about yeah you know, one one. a line sorry mate you just hung up there for a second i'm not sure what happened for um, yeah Which one <laughs> good. Yeah, i'm not sure i didn't say anything useful anyway it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> no what, what, what did you say so you're saying you, uh, cross-functional meetup oh, if you want if, if you want to get a meetup that gets a lot of people to it get uh you know make the topic ux and software development yeah, working sure. together yeah right. totally so uh, we actually had a so, um, yes. Everyone, everyone believes the same thing, right? Like it's, we all believe in iterating and exploring and experimenting and being data-driven and being close to the customer and all that sort of stuff. But everyone wants to do it their way and be in the center of the design process. Yeah. And you just got to like, no, no, we're all, none of us are the center. We're all just part of a network. We've got to work together. That, and that's really interesting. So I actually gave um, my team here a bit of homework the other week to listen to a podcast um, by Envision, a guy called Aaron Walter, um, designer. Um, had the podcast talking about that yeah the, so the the how to get designers and developers essentially um you know speaking the same language and, and working on the same team and, and it, what it came down to even in agile teams that you still have those two roles siloed it's something that we actually have always sort of you know even before agile have tried to keep a close connection between especially thinking about front-end yeah. so that the, you know there's obviously on the website there's a lot of limitations um and and mobile too but um, some interesting takeaways, like things like, so if we think about like a sprint goal or a goal within a, um, a project, having that, having those values on a, on a, on a project level. So a value might be, um, simplicity, right? So the devs and the designers both have that at the core, so they can have that shared similar language around, okay, we're well, having a conversation about an interface. Um, the dev might come in and say, well, I, you know, that I think there's nothing simple about that so they can actually sort of yeah. have that language to go across or another thing they were saying i quite liked was using uh, designers using dev language for dev so talking about like a ux blocker as opposed yeah. to saying well you know it doesn't work the, the, the uh, you know so oh well, this is actually a ux blocker here yeah 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 that's funny mm. um i uh yeah when Again, it's funny, right? People kind of call me an agile guy, and I'm associated with the agile movement. Mm. And um, but I've never kind of attached myself to it directly. And most of the time, I'm just um, most of the time I'm just trying to do my job, right? Sure. And I was talking to some people the other day, and like, yeah, particularly um, if you're engaged in you know the digital transformation, agile transformation stuff, right? You know, agile is really center and square of what you want to do um, and you're really heavily leaning on processes and tools and frameworks because they're the enablers for driving change in the organization mm -hmm. but um but me i don't know like i've never been in that organizational transformation space but i've led i've led teams and 
you know, you want people to know modern practices and good behaviors and techniques and all that sort of stuff, but they're professionals. They'll figure that out. Yeah. What you really need people to do is to line them up on mission, right? What are we here to do and what matters the most, right? What can we fail? What, what would, what would be failure and what would be success yeah. right? in those type of conversations? And, uh, you know, like uh, over the last several years, I was kind of, you know, this manager across this global team and people all over the world and some of them were acquisitions and some of them were part of our organic growth and whatever. And I found myself 70, 80% of the time just going, this is, you know, not necessarily in this way, but just going, this is what we're here to do. This is what we're here to do. This is what we're here to do over and over again. And, uh, yeah, and and not just kind of, you know, doing PowerPoint texts and presentations. Other people would generally do that. I'd engage in conversations and ask you what you're doing and, you know, how does it match to the strategy and you know, what challenges do you want to throw up about the work you're doing against the strategy and, yeah. And it was interesting, like, it, you know, not every conversation yielded excellent results, but, sure. um, but what, what we did have is like everyone knew their place in the organization and knew what they were doing and why it contributed to the customer experience or the outcome that we were seeking or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. Un people underplay that, I reckon. People really underplay how much you have to say mission, mission, mission. And I think, I think keep asking the question, right? Because I think people move away from it. We actually had a couple of um, retros the other day with projects and I, I went around and you know, asked people, everybody, what the mission was and it kind of differs between different people, right? So I think you, yeah. really, you really do have to sort of keep, keep, keep asking the question and making sure that it's at the top of everyone's minds. Yeah, I love how you say it's ask the question, not tell them what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's right though, right? Because it yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because if you tell them, everyone just nods and goes yes, right? Mm. But if you ask, then people talk, and then they hear each other, and also they're expressing, and you hear, and you can see the differences and hear the differences, and and so on. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that empowerment part is massive. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine doing you know an agile transformation in a in a big corporate organization and seeing how that because I think if people are uh, people are used to sort of just you know punching punching a time clock and and sort of ticking things off a to do list. Um, mm. It really is kind of a, a quite a strong and profound it's a shift in, in it's mentality. A daunting task, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is daunting, and it does put the onus back on you as a team member to actively contribute and actually you know, has helped solve this problem, whatever it might be. Which is also interesting because then you get back to mission and purpose. And if, uh, you know, to pick an easy target, say a gambling company, um, mm. you know, you can, you can go, what's your mission? Well, our mission is to make money, right? And how, how much does that engage people, right? Some people are cool with that and other yeah. people are like, well, I wish there was more meaning in my life. And, um, yeah, and then some enterprises are like that as well. Like they don't really... Either their mission is to make money for shareholders, or you know they're a large sprawling organisation with no single tenant, you know, no single purpose. Right? They're all over the place um, because their industry is being disrupted, and they don't know what their future is going to hold. And, yeah, so, so it's you know not I'm not saying that they're wrong or anything like that. I'm just saying it's a remarkably hard kind of situation to tackle. Right? That trying to trying to say what your mission is if you're a legacy organization in a disrupted industry where you know you, you, you actually can't succeed and you have to just divest and get into a new industry mm. trying to make the most uh, engaging visual experience to rid people of their money yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> imagine imagine you were a company that made stamps yeah right sure. like, what would you do right mm. what are your capabilities where you can print you can produce glue you can distribute things like you know but no one wants stamps they're old. That's old technology. It's over. Yeah, yeah and that's. Sorry. I think that's an interesting. But that's an interesting aside, I suppose, for the way these some of these frameworks that they are kind of set up for you know, 
not disruption, but for innovation, right? For all, for, right. for, for, for aiming to innovate. We, we're trying to, we are trying to think outside the box here. And, it, and it's interesting when you put, so we do some, yeah. we do quite a lot of web work. And so once you have a, you know, a framework in place, like a content management system or, you know, there's a certain amount of creative work that might happen from a, at a UX level, but then a lot of the, you know, a lot of the system is just, it's just plug and play. So that, that stuff yeah. actually is a bit more difficult, I think, to fit within these frameworks because it, it does just become sort of a, a you know, a it's production line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and look, some some of the agile techniques are innovation and some aren't. Like, yeah, you know, the um, like Kanban, I don't think necessarily pushes towards innovation as a framework, right? It pushes towards reliability. Um, sure. Which is okay. And that's good for a production line. You know, here's another WordPress website. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I'll just yeah. I'll <laughs> over to you. So you came back to you were saying that um you, you've just started an agency and you you don't have to have that conversation with customers um so much. Why is that? Uh, mainly because uh, look, the the startups we're working with tend to be um. You know, low on process maturity, and so they're not even interested in talking about process. They just need to get stuff built. Sure, that's that's one part of it, and the other part of it is the, um, I guess, the larger companies that, the larger companies that we're working with. You know, I guess my reputation is like you know associated with last conference and the agile meetups and and working at Aconex. They just know that there's a kind of an agile competency there. Yeah, um, we do hear when going in and doing sales conversations with some people. Uh, they're yeah, and I don't really kind of press on it, but people go, oh, you know, they, they do Agile, but it's really hard because there's a project manager and you have to raise a Jira ticket before you can talk to anyone and da-da-da-da-da. And when you hear that, you're like, really? That doesn't sound right. Let me just explain what we do. But don't couch it in the way in the terms of Agile. We just say, you know, we try to talk daily. Um, we use Slack. We give you an end-of-day update. You know, we try to be on the same page. We open and transparent. We'll speak to you like a team member, not like a, you know, subcontractor. Um, yeah, and we're always here if you want to complain at us. <laughs> and you just try to leverage that trusted relationship and then, you know, and, and be accountable to it, right? But that's great. And I suppose all of those things... Oh, are... are you there? Yeah, the sound just dropped out. Oh, no worries. All of those... Um... All of those points you just mentioned, um, I suppose, are offshoots of that. So, right, so you're saying rather than having to sort of educate people on the process they just already sort of assume that you're going to be doing something like that and just and just yeah. trust, trust trust you with it yeah yeah and we just you know like i mean i don't know like again we're not working with uh older more traditional organizations we're working with more modern organizations so there's this there's this language around software engineering and around agile which i think is common these days and it's no longer an innovation in the way we work or anything it's just like normal right you know of course we have weekly or fortnightly sprints. Of course, we have daily stand-ups. Of course, we, uh, you know, do pull requests and we're transparent and we use some sort of ticketing system, whether it's Trello or, or whatever, right? So there's a whole bunch of, you know, practices which are kind of normal, right? And they don't need explanation in this market that I'm operating in. Mm. But, um, but you know, one day, one day we'll be working with a larger, older organization and, you know, it'll be revelatory or it'll be exciting for them or whatever. So I, who knows, right? You've probably you're an older, more experienced organization. You've probably had that had that happen to you. It, it it does happen. It happens actually 
quite a lot. It, su- it surprises me. It, it's been interesting. So, I, I mean, I've only really just started sort of coming to some of these um, agile meetups and, and, and fast conference as well. So, I don't know. I always feel like I'm out on an island doing stuff and, and then I find these things and go, oh, actually, there's lots of other people doing the same stuff we're doing, which is which is nice. Um, yeah. I, it, I think it's quite it's been quite refreshing seeing how many sort of, and there was actually some clients that we we're working with that we didn't actually realize internally, you know, that, that were sort of on a, a similar wavelength to us. And we've had the discussion and they're like, Oh great. Yeah, no, we're, we're happy to work like that as well. So, um, it, it, it is interesting, but you definitely do come across the ones that are still seem at see it as something shiny and exciting. Yeah. Or, or, I mean, I don't come across it very often because of the people that I know, but, you still do run into project managers that are that can't work or we can't do it like that or you know that are very resistant to these modern ways of working and it's just you know i i just get confused i remember um i remember that when i was working at swinburne university uh, eight or nine years ago um there was a lady who ran one of the departments and i was over there just doing some kind of index cards on walls and just helping them do some project planning just using post-it notes and index cards um and she came over and she said is that is that agile stuff and i'm like well kind of um what we're trying to do and i just talk about like the value of like having everything laid out in front of you so you can see it all holistically and cards are good because you can move things around and track the work and all that and um and she got tears in her eyes she was like thank god agile has come to this place because (laughs) yeah in my past jobs i've seen it turn up and make a difference and in this instance, everything's so frustrating and so hard, but now it's going to be better. And in a, you know, and it was. I mean, not that Agile stuck around as a methodology in that place, but um, <laughs> th- there you go. There's that digital transformation thing. Like, you know, yeah. I was there for about a year, and while we were doing it, we didn't pick up Scrum per se or XP or anything like that. We just picked up bits and pieces. But um, you unblocked, you unblocked the flow of communication and the flow of work and the flow of outcomes and so on. And, um, and things got better, right? I think yeah. transparency is a massive part of the core. A lot of what you mentioned before in terms of things with clients is transparency. So yeah, it's, yeah. Just, yeah. it's just having an open dialogue between, between teams and between, um, you know, sort of different functions of the business. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. And um, I guess there's another thing too about um, this whole Agile stuff. Like we presume a bunch of practices, right? So... Um, things like design, design-driven domain, and getting the language of your customer in place, and things like design patterns, and um, you know, test-driven development, and um, you know, automated deployments, and all those sort of things. Like, you, I don't know, I don't talk about them because they're just a given, right? They're yeah. just part of the way you work, right? But I forget that actually they're valuable parts of the story, and that not everyone gets that. And I guess all that like agile go wrong story is where you ignore the fundamentals. And you, you you go straight to high collaboration, but you don't have the ability to deliver on it, right? Yeah. So totally. you can all really quickly and easily agree on what you want to do, but then the hard work comes, and that's where it all falls apart. Yeah, you're right. And I think you know, I, I, having had worked with um, you know lots of sort of SMEs over the over the last decade, you, you you'd be very surprised, I suppose, at what level of maturity from you know even just the you know just the how they operate the business from you know software or communications you know where people sit so to jump in and add a framework some sort of agile framework when you don't sort of have i don't know basic collaboration tools in place is going to be difficult yeah yeah a friend of mine i was saying oh you know we used to work together and um one day we will again um he was saying 
he was scratching his head one day and I walked over, what's up? He had this puzzled look on his face and he said, I was just thinking, I wonder if, I wonder if all this agile stuff is just automating. I wonder if you, if you just automate everything, everything's fine. Right? And that was an interesting conversation for me because I started mm. thinking, how true is that? And it's pretty true. And then, because, you know, if you automate everything, you can, like, push things out, sense and respond in the environment really quickly and then, like, fine-tune and yada, yada. Um, and the other thing is Ranganathan, my partner at Everest, and I uh, were chatting one day about how soon will software development be fully automated process. Yeah. Well, wh yeah. What was the outcome of the conversation? Well, I don't think we landed on an outcome together in the conversation. We were just shooting the breeze and talking about it. But, mm. you know, I'm pretty sure that the capability exists today in some form and it's only just going to mature the question is like when does it become business as usual when does it become the normal way when does 90 percent of all work you know just you you open a microphone and you go hi computer i want a you know and yeah it build, build me this yeah so probably before 2030 i would think does that, how does that make you feel as, as you know, with a background in software development and a, and a business that's centered around it? <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah, the, all, all the tools that have come in the past about like improving the quality of software have all been about like, you know, automating or simplifying or whatever with the object of like normal business people can design and create apps yeah. directly, right? And, and it's never gotten there because humans generally don't have the detail and the thinking to work out all the scenarios and cases that need to be addressed and so there's always going to be that design role that's necessary mm. and there's always going to be that pilot role that's necessary to still run the process and create the apps and push them out into the marketplace but eventually it's all going to happen yeah it's just like the you know the the platform that you steer from is going to change yeah and i think that uh, 10 years ago, I, I remember sort of thinking, you know, I was freelancing as a, as a front-end web designer and developer and thinking, you know, a couple of years' time, this, this role is going to sort of be done. You know, there's going to be great tools out there, you know, a Squarespace kind of thing. Um, you know, it's, it still hasn't really properly happened. They, they are there, but I think you, you find that same issue that um, yeah. you can put... And the, it's the number of jobs that need to be automated, right? Like, there's so many jobs for software developers to do. Yeah. There's not enough software developers to do them all. No, so, that's right. No, I don't. I don't see. I, mean, I, th I think it will hundred percent become more automated, but there's still there's still going to be lots of room for yeah. for human input. Yeah, maybe maybe what's really going to happen is it's going to shift from um, kind of template driven design and template driven work to more engineering focused work, where you know you kind of more holistically look at the problem. And if someone comes to you and says, "Build me a WordPress site so that I can da da da," you go, "Actually, no. What's the problem you want to do? I want to." Um, you know, grow market share or I want to sure. you know, launch a new business and the conversation is much more likely to be around that end of the process than the execute on tasking. But that, I mean, that, and that's sort of the position we're in now and that's the kind of yeah. work that, that I enjoy. Like, I, I, you know, just banging out WordPress templates is, is not really fun for anybody. I think trying to solve a business problem creatively, WordPress or anything similar, might, yeah, you know, yeah. that might be a tool in the, in, the, in the workflow, but it's not the thing. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Yeah, cool. Nice, mate. Well, um, what else did you want to ask? Sam? What else did you want to ask? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm interested. I, I suppose um, one of the um, so y your uh, your business um, you work with um, a distributed team, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when we started, Ranga Nathan's my partner in the business. He lives in Bangalore. Uh, he rang me up one day and said, "Hey, let's you know, let's just we're both about to change jobs and go do something different. Let's do this together." 
we'd worked together for a couple of years and uh and i was like oh maybe we'll get into product and i've got this idea about this or that and he's like yeah yeah that all sounds boring let's go and build a <laughs> let's go and build a software agency because our strength is growing teams and leading teams right so we can recruit well we can coach we can mentor and we can execute well right and let's let other people come up with the ideas and we can kind of play around with lots of different startup ideas and we'll be the we'll be the engine that takes them to market and I went, eh, okay, <laughs> and then off we went. So we've started, and so I've been in Melbourne, um, kind of networking and yeah, finding customers. And he's been in Bangalore building products, and we've um, just hired a couple of guys in Melbourne as well. So the team in Melbourne is going to grow. So now we're going to have this blended model where people are local and remote. Yeah, nice. So you get a bit of the cost arbitrage, but you, you get someone in your office as well. Um, all the way through, we just focus on the most important thing is quality, reliable results. You know. Um, and focus on quality first and good customer experience and all that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah. So you're jumping into um, startups and businesses primarily as the sort of, uh, you know, the, the tech role or are you doing, are you doing sort of you know, strategy and, and design as well or is it more just coming in as, as engineers? Well, we're coming in as engineers, but we're finding there's demand for design and product management. And, um, so, you know, we've got designers, we've got business analysts, we've got product managers over in India and we'll grow that capability. Um, a lot of our senior people are kind of good all-rounders. They're good at a bunch of things. Um, although that front-end design aesthetic magic, that's, like, amazing if you can get people that are great at, like, delivery and design yeah. at that level. Um, yeah, and, and my strength is more on the kind of strategic end, right? So, um, so you know, uh, I'm probably not playing to my strengths just yet, but as the business grows, I think that'll become more and more you know, something that I can do. Yeah. So how many, how big is the team in Melbourne then? Uh, one, two, three, five, five, soon to be six. Cool. And how do you, how, I know you've had quite a lot of experience with it, but how do you find the sort of distributed model in terms of working with the, the team offshore? Well, there's a bit of a wariness from some people. Um, it, seems like, it seems like there's some people that have, you know, had bad remote work experiences. There's some people that have had none and then there's some people that have had good ones. And when you come across people that have had good ones, they understand that, remote working can actually be really easy. All you got to do is just not micromanage people and communicate well. Um, people that have had bad experiences, we can kind of stand apart by saying, you know, here's our method, here's our approach, here's how we operate, show some examples, give them a trial period. And then they go, oh, wow, that's actually a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. And then people that have never done it, uh, they're actually the hardest because they just remain skeptical, mm. right? Um, that you can actually have high collaboration, high bandwidth conversations and get stuff done and, you know, just whatever. You just try it once you've had it. Once you've had a go doing it well, you're less working off myths and secondhand information and you're more able to, you know, there's a certain competency that you would have to have to work remotely. But you do work remotely, even though you're in Adelaide and your customers are in Adelaide. You work on screen you work on phone calls you work on slack you're not always in the same office and working I, together I, right? I would say we work remotely you know 80 percent of the time you know the, the, especially from a from a stakeholder's perspective so i I, right. I was in i was in the uk for um six years freelancing and then i was working for a couple of companies back here in adelaide but um yeah i mean i was doing i was working 100 percent remotely then and, and had absolutely no issues with it and this is sort of you know yeah. back into the, the late two. 2007 2008 um you know the tech was probably not as good in terms of communication but there, there was just no problem with it. it just comes down to team and 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 people yeah. people having a good understanding of 
the problem they're solving. I think where people yeah. fall over with offshore is, you know, they find the, the cheapest option wherever it might be and right. don't, and just assume that uh, that yeah. that that means offshore, but it's sort of, you know, yeah. Get it. Yeah, yeah. If you if you go for cheap you get what you pay for, right? Pretty much. But um but but a global you know, like the the world is global, the markets are global, the software industry is global. Um so, you know, there's time zones which get in your way because, yeah. you know, you want to be eating dinner and somebody has a question ever. But you can manage that as well just in the way you organize and orchestrate your days. But, uh, yeah, look, part of it's learning communication as a skill, you know, being proactive, thinking out loud, doing all, all that sort of stuff more transparently. And the other one is um, trusting people quickly, like default to trust. Yeah, You have to have quality gates before you can do that, right? So when you're first working with people, there's a probation period where you're evaluating and giving feedback and so on. But very quickly, I think you need to come to a place of trust where you just kind of let people do their work and stay out of their way sufficiently. Like give feedback when you need to, but don't micromanage. Don't tell people how to do their jobs, all that sort of stuff, and just let it, let it happen. Yeah. And in my experience, so I've got um, one or two, sorry, two full-time workers uh, offshore at the moment and... I opened up an office in Thailand um, a few years ago, which, which actually didn't go, um, it's not around anymore. But the thing that we found we really like to do is just be as inclusive as possible. So sometimes, yeah. you know, Praz is over in Indo, he, you know, he's, we kind of leave him do his own thing and he, he likes that. But every now and then touching base and I, th- I think just feeling as if it's one team is, is important too. Yeah. Travel's good too. Like oh, putting yeah. people face to face occasionally. Um, and, and also not every conversation should be about tasks and work. Yep. Right. You got to just check in and have a conversation and share jokes and you know all that sort of stuff. It's got to feel like a team, not just a work, yeah, a job. Yeah, I was, I was yeah. speaking to I've done a couple of podcasts with people that work at Envision. Um, they're yeah. spread over you know sort of forty countries or something. It's a, it's yeah. a completely uh, it's a completely um, distributed workforce. Um, and right. And now Stephen Gates, I was talking to, and he was just saying, if anything, it just makes you work harder at communication. Like it, it does, right. you know, th- there are some barriers, time zones and, and you know, yep. conference calls that drop out, but it, it really makes you sort of think more about it. Walking into the office and asking someone how's their day is just kind of a, a you know, second nature, but having to do it, I suppose, with that barrier makes you actually sort of more conscious of the fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you have to be much more mindful about um listening and gathering feedback because you know you don't have those many moments during the day where you can calibrate you know you you speak to each other less frequently and so you have to be ears open more often and paying attention more deeply yeah yeah nice mate well i am uh i'm actually gonna have to cut this off because i'm sitting in a meeting room and don't have my laptop charger and i can see i've got about (laughs) 10 percent left on my laptop it's real professional isn't it um it's good to talk to you (laughs) i hope to see you well, no, I'll, I'll be I'll be there next Tuesday at the at the conference, so we yeah, we nice. can um, catch up then. If people want to find out more about the conferences, it's just lastconference.com. Well, the next the next one after Melbourne, which is the thirtieth of July, the next one's 29th of August. Okay, and if you go to lastconference.com, you can see the Canberra and Brisbane dates as well. No, so that's is that uh, Sydney the next one or is it Sydney's in August? Yeah, beautiful. Oh, we're looking forward right. to catch up for a beer on uh, Tuesday and uh, yeah. cheers for the chat. I'll see you then. Bye. Thanks, mate. Thanks so much to Craig for taking the time to have a chat with us today. If you want to check out the last conferences, you can head to www.lastconference.com and you can find them on Twitter at lastconf, C-O-N-F. As always, we'd really appreciate if you could be so kind to share this around your networks, social media, 
leave a review on iTunes or Google Play, positive or negative. We can take the uh, we can take the negative criticism, bring it on, and uh, looking forward to the next podcast. We'll catch you in a couple of weeks, guys. Cheers.